0: Let us pray. Silence now in us any voice but your own, gracious God. And into that silence speak your word, a word of truth and justice and hope. For we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is from the gospel according to John. The 12th through the 15th verses of the 16th chapter, let us hear God's word. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I know is the case for many of you, holidays were and remain important in our family. Because my dad did what he did and because I do what I do, gathering a full family together at Christmas was often difficult, but not so with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving provided the opportunity for all of us to get together without worrying about church schedules or oftentimes even worrying about snow. Thanksgiving in our family first happened in Akron, Ohio, with the five of us and four grandparents, which is, in retrospect, I know, a unique gift. And as grandparent health faded, my mom took over the task. She dug deep to find her inner Patton and Lombardi and Tuscanini and Julia Child to make everything just right. And it was. So much so that when she died, we were at sea about what to do on Thanksgiving. We knew we couldn't replicate her masterpieces, and even if we could on the surface, it would never be the same. So my dad gathered us that first Thanksgiving and we went out to eat as a family, contrary to much of our family's culture. It was lovely. I wanted to do something to commemorate the day. So I ordered these purple arm bracelets, wrist bracelets. Now, there used to be letters on mine. They have long worn off, but they had my mom's initials. The date of the day we gathered in a phrase we often used in our family life, which I'm not going to say right now. It was humorous and touching. We still use it now. Now, to get a deal on purple rubber wrist bracelets, you need to order a bunch of them, which I did, yet I can't find myself replacing the one I wear that has no words on it with one I could actually read. Now, three years later, my dad died, and so we again, the next generation, were faced with a Thanksgiving decision, this time an even more perplexing one, what to do and where to do it and how to do it. And to be honest, we still haven't really settled on a model yet. We might never, ever settle on a model, given things like empty nests and new family constellations. But this past Thanksgiving, we took a somewhat bold move and hosted Thanksgiving in Rochester. And it went very well, I'm grateful to say. We all pitched in, something my mom would never allow us to do, and we took it a little more casually, an approach my mom would have been horrified by. And for the day, I got a new piece of wristwear to add to my purple bling. My sister, the teacher, brought arts and crafts with her, and so we made bracelets, little round bracelets on a string with a little hammer to punch out letters on this metal disc. So we had to decide what we were going to put on that disc and I pondered for several minutes and then I decided two words, two words. Urgency and hope. Urgency and hope. And I've worn this bracelet since that day. I haven't taken it off yet, coupled with the purple bracelet. It clatters when I'm at the keyboard and gets in the way at certain other times urgency, and hope. Now, I know you know those two words are taken from the confession of 1967. I know you all remember that. Our denominations now nearly more than 50-year-old effort to articulate a theological vision for the church and the world. And on top of that, I know you also no doubt remember that each of our Reformed confessions in our book of confessions from the apostles creed which ends from thence he called she shall from thence he, sh, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead to our brief statement that says even as we pray for a new heaven and a new earth all of these end with thoughts at the end of the statement about Christ's return the end time, some call it i usually don't call it that eschatology that's a fancy theological word for it it can be an awkward confusing, even a kind of an off-putting conversation for some of us. Because frankly, we don't quite know what to think, if we think about it at all, how the world will end, what will happen, and we often wrestle with what others think. Especially evangelists we see on TV, even if we don't mean to watch them and are surfing from golf tournament to soccer game and catch a few seconds in between. And hear an evangelist talking about the end of days. We Presbyterians, part of the Reformed tradition, do think about these things, but differently than some other traditions. Hence my bracelet, hence urgency and hope. Here's what the Confession of 1967 says about all of this. It's a little bit of a lengthy quotation, but worth it, I think. It is the will of God that the divine purpose for human life shall be fulfilled under the rule of Christ and all evil be banished from creation. Biblical visions and images of the rule of Christ, such as the heavenly city, the household of God, a new heaven and new earth, a marriage feast, an unending day, culminate in the image of the kingdom The kingdom represents, this confession says, the kingdom represents God's triumph over all that resists the divine will and disrupts God's creation. And then this is really good. Already, already, God's reign is present as a ferment in the world, stirring hope in all people and preparing the world to receive its ultimate judgment and redemption. With an urgency born of this hope, the church applies itself to present tasks and strives for a better world. It does not identify limited progress with the kingdom of God on earth, nor does it despair in the face of disappointment and defeat. In steadfast hope, the church looks beyond all partial achievement to the final triumph of God. With an urgency born of this hope, the church applies itself to present tasks and strives for a better world. That is, we work like the Dickens, presently and urgently. I love that word urgency because it denotes for me a sense of kind of leaving it, leaning in, of of passion, of intensity. But it does not denote fear, and it does not denote panic, and it does not denote anxiety, urgency, and hope. The hope is even more important to me, and it can feel even more elusive. I think it can feel elusive, perhaps for one who is addicted and seeking to escape the grip of that addiction, And one day at a time makes sense, but is so daunting. Falling back into abuse is so easy. I think hope can feel elusive, I imagine, if you are a person of color or a woman, and every cultural norm, work and politics and education and entertainment, is stacked against you systemically and personally. Hope can feel elusive, and it has, and it does, for those of us working to reform Rochester's educational system, when history and institutional inertia are so strongly against us. And yet, with an urgency born of this hope, and so you pursue recovery, you pursue equal opportunity. You pursue reform with urgency, even in the face of, as the confession says, limited progress. That's called hope. Well, it's Trinity Sunday, the Sunday following the day of Pentecost. A day named for a theological concept and doctrine rather than a biblical event, a a theological concept and doctrine not explicitly named in the Bible itself. And yet in John's Gospel that we just heard, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, makes reference to the Father, the first person of the Trinity, historically, and the Spirit, the third person, so, even without the term itself, the concept is there, and more so than the concept, the connections and the relationships between first and second and third, but more importantly, the Trinity's relationship with us in community. So we can relate to the Trinity, not as some theological concept, but as a relational reality, complex and unified Particular and relational. Because we can relate to those three persons in our experiences, we can, we can relate to one another more deeply than ever. Paul understood that. In his epic letter to the church at Rome, he too adopts language that identifies Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now to wade into the book of Romans is to wade into deep theological waters. Paul is considering how we are saved, how grace works. But he's also concerned about the ethics of all of this, how we live our lives, because he knows just some brief decades after Jesus's death and resurrection that the church has a very long way to go, a very long way to establish any kind of sustainability, let alone safety. Paul reminds us regularly, time after time after time, that we follow a man whom religion and politics killed. And even though he was raised from the dead, the struggle preceded that. And so struggle will be part of our experience So not only do we boast, that's Paul's word, boast. Not only do we boast about our relationship with God, but we boast about wherever that relationship takes us. Even if it takes us to difficult places. We boast in our suffering, Paul says. Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Not because of who we are, but because of God's love for us. Now when I read this little section, I always have to tread carefully through it. Especially that part about suffering producing character. I always want to ask God God couldn't we establish character without all that suffering whether it's our suffering or the suffering of the world so that seems like a not unreasonable question it's a little bit like that adage which I've always struggled with it that, that which does not kill us makes us stronger well perhaps but perhaps not There is a theological stream out there that talks about the need to be beat up spiritually, to be stronger. I think that's a questionable faith proposition. And yet we know, we know that life gives us challenges and struggles and sufferings, our health, our relationships, our work, and in the lives of those we love, parents and children and loved ones as today we see post after post of our grandfathers and fathers and our children. And even when we navigate those, those struggles and challenges, even when we navigate them successfully in our own lives, our faith will not allow us to live only within that small, tight circle, so that the sufferings of people not like us or not near us also Matter. That's what a Trinitarian community looks like. Frederick Amalo writes, As Christians rejoice in God's glory, the unavoidable participation in the suffering and afflictions of life cultivates true Christian faith and patience and hope. So yes, these are important waters Paul is leading us into. Who God is, the very nature of our faith. Frederick Buechner writes this. The past and the future. Memory and expectation. Remember and hope. Remember and wait. Wait for him whose face we all of us know because somewhere in the past we have faintly seen it, whose life we all of us thirst for, because somewhere in the past we have seen it lived, have maybe even had moments of living it ourselves. Remember him who himself remembers us, as he promised to remember the thief who died beside him. Buechner says, to have faith is to remember and wait. And to wait in hope is to have what we hope for already begin to come true in us through our hoping. Have what we hope for already begin to come true for us in our hoping. Now I know waiting is hard, yet we are called to wait. But we do not wait passively. As we wait, we do the work to which this Trinity calls us. And we do it with urgency, because it matters. And we do it with hope, because it is not our work, but God's work. Maybe you learned in grade school, the poem by Emily Dickinson, Hope is the thing with feathers, she wrote. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. And it is. It is the thing with feathers. But it is also the thing with arms and legs and flesh and blood and sweat. That when lived out in the name of God in three persons, will not disappoint us. Amen.